Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Good morning. Uh, One evening, a few weeks ago, I was running some errands around town. I needed to buy some things at a local store, and so I stopped, and after I bought the items, I walked out of the store and was getting ready to head to my car when I happened to notice that there was a a guy there changing his tire right there in one of the spots that was pointing right next to the building. Uh, The guy appeared to me to be in his low to middle 70s, and he seemed to be on the frail side. And so the thought occurred to me, you know, I could offer to help. You know, I I was sure I was stronger than he was. But I had a lot of things on my to-do list that evening. In fact, on the front seat of the car, I had all these things I was planning on doing that night. And if I stopped to help, you know, it's going to kind of ruin all my plans, especially if he needs to run someplace and go get a tire or something. And and yet it seemed like, well, maybe I, I should probably help him. I began to argue with myself why I didn't have a coach. You know, it was kind of chilly this evening and I wasn't planning on being outside and so I knew that I'd be really cold if I stayed out there very long. But then I realized, well, I could run home and get a coat. It's only 10 minutes away. Maybe I should help this guy after all. When I walked out of the store, he was so intent on changing the tire that we didn't make eye contact and that always makes it easier to ignore somebody. If you don't catch their eye contact, you know, and, and I got in the car and as I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, it's not really an emergency with this guy. I mean, it's not like he's off the side of the road someplace in the highway. I mean, it's, it's a parking lot. And he probably has a cell phone. Most people do. But if not, he could just walk into the store and make a phone call. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I talked my way out of doing it. And as I was driving home, suddenly a parable that Jesus told came to mind. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Most of you know the story. It's one I don't particularly like because it involves a a priest and a Levite. Both are people that were kind of in the religious field of things. But you know this story. A guy was attacked and left for dead. and, And then a priest walks by, presumably coming right from the temple. A Levite comes by also from the temple. These were people that had been in the presence of God and you would have thought that their, their time in the temple would have done a work in their hearts so that when they saw the need, they'd reach over and do something about it. And I thought of all of that, but I have to admit, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but my own agenda, my own comfort came in the way. I found reasons why, well, I don't know that I need to help out. And, and to this day, I regret it. I wish I had done it differently. In fact, I decided that the next time I'm in a situation like that, I'm going to show kindness because, see, as as Christians, if we put our trust in Christ and he is our Savior, we've experienced from God grace and compassion and kindness and amazing love, and all of these are qualities that we receive from God, and I believe that we're obligated, therefore, to show those qualities to other people, but sometimes... Our faith doesn't translate into action like that as it should. 
Now, the past few weeks, we've been looking at the story of, of Jonah and found in the Old Testament book that bears his name. And Jonah was someone, as we're going to see today, he needed to learn a lesson about caring for other people because he really did not love well. He was someone who wanted the Ninevites, a group of people that lived in a city 550 miles away, he wanted them, frankly, to die. He was hoping the judgment of God would come upon these people. Now, if you know the story, you know that God commanded this Jonah, this prophet from Israel, to go to the city of Nineveh, travel there, and preach a message. And the gist of the message was, in in 40 days, judgment is coming. We don't know if that was the whole message, but in 40 days, judgment is coming, and Jonah didn't want to deliver the message, because as we'll see today, he was afraid they might actually listen, and then they'd actually be saved. And so what he did was he went the other direction. He jumped on a boat, heading in the wrong direction. He was heading 2,500 miles away, most scholars think, to Spain. But if you know the story, he didn't get there. Because God caused a a big storm to arise and the boat was being battered around. It looked like it was going to fall apart. Sailors freaked out. These were the best of the best in terms of sailors from Phoenicia. But they were scared to death for their lives and they began to cry out to their gods because they took it as a sign that the gods were against them. They were polytheistic, worshiping many gods and not the God of Israel. And finally, they woke Jonah, and they said, you you need to pray too. It's not working. Our prayers are not working. And it was from that that the people discovered that he was running from God. That's what the problem was. He did not want to communicate a message to these Gentiles, these non-Jews. They were also Assyrians who were enemies of Israel. He did not want to be an instrument that God would use to show kindness to these people. So he was fleeing for his life. But in this role as a prophet, he told the people, you've got to throw me overboard. And they didn't want to listen to him. But eventually they saw that things were getting worse and and they were going to die anyway. So they threw Jonah overboard. Then immediately stillness came over everything and these sailors turned to the true God of Israel. They were scared to death at the change, the transformation. Very similar, by the way, to the story in the New Testament of Jesus with the disciples. He too had been sleeping in the boat and then when he woke up, he just commanded it all to be quiet and it it freaked out the disciples. And it was likely Jesus who commanded both the storm and the storm to cease in this story. But in either case, they threw him overboard and these sailors came to put their trust in the true God of Israel. And then God appointed a, a fish to swallow him. I imagine it looks like this. I love this picture of the fish that would have swallowed him. I mean, it would freak you out initially. He spent three days there, and this is key to our story today. Because here's a guy that from the belly of this fish, God gave him a second chance, another opportunity, because that's the way our God is. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The problem was that somehow, even though God had treated Jonah this way and been kind to him and gave him a second chance, Jonah was unwilling to give the Ninevites a second chance. My takeaway today is this, though. As recipients of God's grace, we are to extend grace to others. If God has been good to us, we need to be good to others. We need to treat others well. 
Now, if you know the story, you know that God caused the fish to vomit Jonah up on the shore. He preached his message. The response was amazing. From the greatest to the least, they humbled themselves. They turned to God. They repented of their evil ways. They wore sackcloth and fasted. It was just unbelievable. They listened and responded. And so we read in Jonah 3.10, the last verse of that chapter, then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do them, and he did not do it. Then we come to chapter 4, and we might expect that Jonah should be pleased somewhat about the response. I can't think of any minister who would preach a message and literally everybody responds positively, and their hearts are struck by the message and they change their ways. Uh, ministers I know would be thrilled by that, but not, not Jonah. He was mad. He was mad that God would spare these people, that this is where things looked like they were headed. How hypocritical it was of him. As recipients of grace, we need to extend it to other people. Now, I'd like to read Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I want you to note as I'm reading these verses, some of the pronouns. Pronouns like I, me, my. We get a hint of what Jonah's problem was, but beginning in verse 1. We read, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? He was so selfish. It looked like early on that, that God was not going to judge the people and he got so mad about it. So God asked him the question, do you have a right to be angry? And that was exactly the right question for God to ask him because the spirit of the question is this, do you, Jonah, of all people have a right to be angry? I think the heart of it is, after the way I listen to you and after I spared you and after I show kindness to you. you. Do you have a right? I love Jonah's description of God in verse two here. Jonah responds, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love and one who relents from sending disaster. I knew that's the kind of God you are. You know, people humble themselves and you forgive them. And he really didn't, he didn't like that. Now, this description from Jonah 4.2 comes from the Old Testament. And that's part of the story of Jonah here because he's quoting from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And let me set the context for the story, although I know many of you know it, but the Israelites came out of Egypt and they found themselves at Mount Sinai where God revealed himself to the Israelites he set the fire on Mount, uh, there was a fire on the mountain representing the glory and holiness of God. And then God spoke to the people and he said, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And a lot of scholars believe, and I agree with them, that what happened at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, all of that, 
It was a wedding proposal. God was saying, of all the peoples of the earth, and that's how he even worded it, of all the peoples of the earth, I choose you to be mine, and I want, I want to be your God. Do you want, do you want that? Do you, do you, you know, he, God is coming to them as though he were a groom asking for a bride. Will you marry me? And the people said yes, and then it was time to sign the covenant, the agreement, which is in biblical times what you do when, when you would agree to marry, you'd sign an agreement, a covenant that explains how this thing was going to work. And so God basically gave them the Ten Commandments and said, well, these are the basic rules of our agreement. Starting with, you're to have no other gods. And starting with, you're not allowed to make any idols. Don't craft any idols to worship. Now, if you know the story... Moses went up on the mountain. He was gone kind of a long time. He had brought with him the tablets, and God was going to actually physically write the Ten Commandments on these tablets, and, and Moses was gone kind of long, and so the people said, where is this Moses? We don't know, and they went to Moses' brother Aaron and said, would you make a calf for us of gold, an image, an idol, so that we might worship it? This is the God that led us out of Egypt. God told Noah, or Moses, you go down because they're going crazy down there. It was a horrible thing what they were doing down there. Very sexual thing. It was horrible what all they were doing down there. Moses came down, and you remember he broke the Ten Commandments. And if you've heard me talk about this before, you know that he broke the Ten Commandments as a picture of the fact that they'd broken the agreement. He wasn't just mad. He said, you just broke the covenant. And from God's perspective, I think what the Israelites did was kind of like they got married and then immediately they were unfaithful. They committed adultery. Immediately. They didn't do what God said to do. And so God told Moses, you know, they should die. All of them. I'll, I'll make a new people out of you. It sounds extreme, but in the Old Testament, that was the penalty for adultery. And Moses pleaded with God, please don't do that. And God listened, just like that. And right after this happened, God said, or Moses said to God, I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I just want to know what you're like. And so God said, come back up on the mountain. And God passed by Moses. And as God passed by Moses, he said something. He pronounced some of his attributes, some of his qualities. And I've always been surprised, or for years I've been surprised at what God chose to emphasize when he walked by Moses on this occasion. It's found in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and it ties to Jonah's story. As God passed by, he said, Yahweh, Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name for God, I am that I am. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. I'm amazed at this because what I would expect God to have said as he passed by Moses is some qualities like, I am holy, 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 I'm the Lord God Almighty. I would expect that God would have said, I'm just pure, righteous. I grew up in a church that really emphasized the holiness of God. We sang the hymn, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That was the attribute that I thought was the most important attribute, and God is holy. I'm not suggesting he's not. 
But I would have expected that God would have pronounced that as he walked by Moses, especially after the people had failed so miserably. To emphasize the fact, I want the people to treat me as holy, but that's not what he did. He emphasized this idea of grace. I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and I love to forgive. That was grace. We fast forward to the story of Jonah. Jonah knew the story of Moses. He knew how the Israelites had failed so miserably, and he knew God was gracious and compassionate, but Jonah didn't just know this from the history book. He had just experienced it himself. You see, mercy triumphs over judgment in God's world. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He had experienced grace. I've defined grace in the past as extending kindness to the undeserving. That's what grace is. I've also made this point that grace emphasizes the kindness of the giver, not the worthiness of the recipient. Grace is born in the heart of the one who wants to extend the grace. Andy Stanley put it this way, to say someone deserves grace is a contradiction of terms. If it's deserved, it's not grace. I hope you understand that this is the way our God is. God would always rather show grace and kindness and forgiveness than judgment. And this is the nature of God. And, and Jonah experienced it firsthand from the belly of the fish. God saved him. But he didn't understand this point we're looking at today as recipients of God's grace. We, we need to extend grace to other people. A, spa, a scholar by the name of B.K. Smith writes about Jonah's reaction. At the very worst, we see a prophet with a shocking disregard for human life and a bitter, bitter hatred toward those who had experienced mercy. At the very best, he was a prophet who misunderstood God's mercy and had a limited view of God's plan. Apparently, his heart had not been softened at all by what he experienced. So what did he do? Well, let's continue the story, reading to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse five. So Jonah left the city. He sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there. He sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant. And here we're getting into an object lesson to reveal something to this Jonah. God appointed a plant and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now you see he's angry about the plant. Yes, he replied, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. The 120,000, some feel are children who are so young they don't know their right hand from their left. Others feel like uh, it was a, more a picture of the, the moral problem of the people of Nineveh. They didn't know right from wrong. Uh, we don't know which one it is. Let me make some observations about this, though. As Jonah chapter 4 began, Jonah was mad. 
What's interesting to me about the fact he was mad at, at the beginning of Jonah 4 is that the 40 days weren't up yet. And yet he was mad that God was compassionate and he was mad about the fact that he felt like God wasn't going to judge him. You see, God told Jonah to preach in the city and he did that. We don't know how many days he went out there preaching. At the very least, it was three days because that's how long it would take to walk around the city. That part we know. And maybe he preached for three days. Maybe he preached for five days. Maybe he preached for seven days. We don't know how many days he preached. But as soon as he was done preaching, he knew that God wasn't going to judge the people. And he was furious about it and depressed about it. Now you say, well, how did he know? Because he saw the response of the Ninevites. He saw that the Ninevites humbled themselves and they gave up their wicked ways and they prayed and they wore the sackcloth and they fasted and sat in ashes and all these signs. And when Jonah saw all that, he said, I know the way God is. And he says to God, I I knew, this is why I didn't want to talk to these people in the first place because I knew that's the kind of God you were. But the 40 days wasn't up yet. And so what did Jonah do? Well, instead of returning home, he decided to go away from the city a little distance and he put put together this shelter, probably from some branches and this and that, and he sat there to watch. I suspect that he was gonna be watching for the next three weeks or so, or longer. He wanted to see whether or not God was gonna judge the city. I think he was hoping God would change his mind. And so here you have Jonah, the pouting prophet, sitting in this structure, waiting to see what's going to happen. And God kind of accommodated him a little bit. It's, it's kind of unusual because you realize that what Jonah was waiting for was the fireworks. He wanted a front row seat to the fireworks. He wanted another Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire to come down from heaven and destroy the Ninevites. That's what he wanted to see with his own eyes. And yet God caused this plant to grow. Most theologians think it was a castor oil plant or a a gourd of some kind, a climbing gourd. Let me show you a picture, though, what it would look like if it was a castor bean plant. When I was in Honduras several years ago, I saw a plant that had leaves that were three feet in diameter. I'd never seen anything like it before, but I realized as I was standing there looking at this leaf, one leaf, that if I bent down low enough, I could hide completely behind one leaf. And so Jonah put up this thing and this shelter, and then God added this beautiful plant to give him much more shade. Dr. Hannah writes about the plant. The plant may have been the castor bean plant, Resinus communis, which grows rapidly in hot climates to a height of 12 feet. So that's probably how tall it was. And has large leaves. It easily withers if its stalk is injured. Now the text indicates Jonah was thrilled about the plant. He's so happy. He fell in love with the plant. He loved it. And then the next day, God took it away. He sent a worm to eat it. And then God sent this eastern wind, which in the Bible, eastern winds are almost just really dry, horrible winds. Hot, scorching. And then God sent the sun down there, and he was about to faint. He said, once again, I just want to die. And picking up the story again in verse 9, God challenged him. God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied. It is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, 
which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who can't distinguish between the right and the left? God was making this point. You cared about a plant that was here one day and gone the next. It lived one day and you're so upset about it, let alone people who live so long. And you didn't, you didn't plant the thing. It's not, it's, it's not like you planted this thing and you tended it for all this time and you put fertilizer on it and it grew and then all of a sudden it died and so you wept over it. You had nothing to do with the plant. I planted it. Shouldn't I care about the people of Nineveh? I've been, my heart goes out to them. God, God doesn't want to judge all these people. Now, what do we do with this? Well, I, I don't know if Jonah learned from his, this incident. I don't know. When I read the story of Jonah, I get mad at Jonah until, until I remember sometimes I'm like he was. Sometimes I'm like that. But here are some applications, perhaps. I know that sometimes when I sin, I want people to extend forgiveness to me. And when I sin, I go right to God and I know through the blood of Christ my sins are forgiven and so I readily receive forgiveness but sometimes I'm not as quick to extend forgiveness to others. I find that sometimes my thoughts are God deal with them according to their sin. I pray you punish them. I pray they get what they deserve. That's, that's my attitude sometimes toward people who wrong me or people who sin in various ways and I just, just kind of get up, upset with them. Wouldn't it be rather better to say, I pray they find Jesus. I'd rather they find Jesus and he changed their heart. I'd rather that they experience life. I'd rather they experience forgiveness. That would be so much better. But when I sin, I want to be forgiven, but it's harder sometimes to look at someone else. Another application, when I'm in need, I'm hoping someone will come and help meet the need. I always hope somebody will care enough and have enough compassion to say, well, let me help out. But I know I don't always do that as my first story illustrates. Many times I do, but other times I find excuses. Instead of being like Jesus who sacrificed himself, he said I, uh, he came to serve, seeking to save and to serve people, lay down his life. And then I know sometimes when I make a mistake, and I'm not talking about a sin here, but when I just make a mistake of some kind, I hope people will say, that was just a mistake and they overlook it. But I know that there are sometimes if somebody makes a mistake, I want to point it out. Well, we live in a culture, you know, we talk about this thing called cancel culture. Somebody did something, they made a mistake and everybody wants to just X them out of existence. It's the world we live in. It's not the way God is. And when others judge me, I get upset. Don't judge but I realized that over the years, and partly because of my background, I've had a, a kind of a judgmental attitude toward a lot of people concerning a lot of things or their disagreements. And I realized the bottom line is I need to treat people the way God treats me. I want to do unto others as I would hope others would do unto me, the, the, the golden rule, as it's called. As a recipient of God's grace, I want to be one who extends God's grace to others in a variety of different ways. Now, Jonah didn't seem to get this. A scholar by the name of Schrader explains Jonah's attitude reveals the depths of the depravity of the human heart. 
Deep down, we cannot bear the grace of God being extended to others. Didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? Didn't he say, do good to those who mistreat you because in so doing, you're like your heavenly father. He causes the sun to shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the rain to fall on both. If he is our father and we are his children, it's our job to reflect him to the world. And that's why this subject is so important. I wanna close with a, something I've read before. John Wesley had a rule of life. It's kind of what he lived by. And it went this way, do all the good you can, by all means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. In other words, as Jesus put it, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of this wayward prophet. Again, as I read this story, I'm reminded how it just confirms the word is true. That the heroes in the pages of the Bible are people just like me. And like others in this room, oh Lord. It's just so real, so true. But we want to learn from his example, oh Lord. And we don't want to have to learn the hard way, as we talked about last week. And so help us, oh Lord, to love well as ones who've been loved well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.